We turn in sacred scripture to Numbers chapters 26 and 27. Numbers 26 is going to give us a little bit of the context. And Numbers 27 verses 1 through 11 is the text for the sermon tonight. The book of Numbers records uh, the wilderness wanderings of God's people. Uh, In Exodus, they're given the law at Mount Sinai. And now in Numbers, they begin their journey um, through the land to the land of Canaan. And then you have the evil report of the ten spies. And then you have the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Here in Numbers 26, they have finished their wilderness wanderings and... They are preparing to enter the promised land. Numbers 26, I'll walk you through some of the verses we're going to read. Verses 1 through 4. Numbers 26, verse 1. And it came to pass after the plague, that's when 24,000 were killed by the plague, men who went in unto the women of Moab when those women were sent to them as a snare. Remember Balak and Balaam and that whole episode. And it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Take the sum, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from twenty years old and upward throughout their father's house, all that are able to go to war in Israel. And Moses and Eleazar, the priest, spake with them in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Take the sum, take a census of the people from 20 years old and upward, as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel, which went forth out of the land of Egypt. Now verse 28, jump to verse 28. So it goes through the different tribes. In verse 28, we have the tribe of Joseph, or Manasseh and Ephraim. Verse 28, the sons of Joseph, after their families, were Manasseh and Ephraim. Of the sons of Manasseh, of Maker, the family of the Makerites, and Maker begat Gilead. Of Gilead come the family of the Gileadites. These are the sons of Gilead, of Jezer, the family of the Jezerites, of Helak, the family of the Helakites, and of Asriel, the family of the Asrielites, and of Shechem, the family of the Shechemites, and of Shemida, the family of the Shemidaites. And of Hefer, the family of the Heferites. And Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons but daughters. And the names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Mela and Noah and Hogla, Milcah and Tirzah. These are the families of Manasseh, and those that were numbered of them, fifty and two thousand and seven hundred. So that's the census for Manasseh. Now we go to verse 52. After all the tribes are numbered, verse 52, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Unto these the land shall be divided for an inheritance, according to the number of names. To many thou shalt give the more inheritance, and to few thou shalt give the less inheritance. To every one shall his inheritance be given, according to those that were numbered of him, the census. Notwithstanding, the land shall be divided by lot. According to the names of the tribes of their fathers, they shall inherit. 
According to the lot shall the possession thereof be divided between many and few. And now verse 63. We're coming to the end of the chapter. Verse 63. These are they that were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. But among these there was not a man of them whom Moses and Aaron the priest numbered when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai 40 years prior. For the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. And there was not left a man of them save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. And now begin the words of the text. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these are the names of his daughters, Mela, Noah, and Hogla, and Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses, and before Eleazar the priest, and before the princes, and all the congregation, by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin, and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family, because he hath no son? Give unto us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren. And thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, if a man die and have no son, then, shall, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. And if he have no brethren, then shall ye give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. And if his father have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his kinsman that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be unto the children of Israel a statute of judgment, as the Lord commanded Moses. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is chapter 27, verses 1 through 11. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, it is an extremely joyful occasion when young women come forward before the church and lay claim to their place in the midst of the church. It is an extremely joyful occasion when daughters of the church rise up in the midst of the assembly of God's people and with boldness and confidence declare before God's people and say, I am a child of God. I am a member of God's church. And I too, just like any other mature child of God, deserve the rights and the privileges and obligations of being a communicant member in God's church. It's an extremely joyful occasion when daughters of believers rise up and say, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and I have come to spiritual maturity of faith 
And therefore, I have a right and obligation to come to the Lord's Supper. I have a right to enjoy the care and the discipline of the elders. And I have a right to a place among God's people in the church. That's what we've witnessed this evening. Tabby and Megan have stood up in front of the church and with boldness they have said before all men, I am God's covenant child and I lay claim to my place among God's people. Usually when we think of confession of faith, we think of a person confessing Christ before men. We think of a person confessing their faith in Jesus Christ. I believe in Christ. But this evening, we can also look at confession of faith this way. Two children of God, with boldness and courage, appearing before the church and laying claim to what they have a right to as believers and as covenant children of God. And I use that kind of language, I emphasize it this way, because when we put it in this kind of language, then we can also see how the passage that we've read this evening fits very well with the occasion of confession of faith. Because this is exactly what these five daughters of Zelophehad were doing. With boldness, they approached Moses. They approached the elders of the congregation and they insisted on their rights as members of God's covenant people. They stood up and insisted that as God's covenant children, they too had a right to part of the inheritance that the Lord was about to give His people. That's how we're going to treat this passage and that's how we're going to apply it in the preaching tonight. We take as our theme, the request of the daughters of Zelophehad. We look at three things. First, their bold request. Second, we look how that request is rooted in a strong faith. And then third, we look at God's gracious answer, a glorious answer. I think we might ask the question, why is this passage even recorded for us in Scripture? What's the point? Well, I think we come to appreciate the point, why this is in Scripture, when we look at the book of Numbers as a whole, and we understand where this passage fits in the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers can be divided into two main sections, two main sections that focus on the two different generations that lived in the wilderness wanderings. In the first section of the book, the focus is on the first generation, the generation that had the opportunity to enter into the promised land of Canaan, but who did not enter into the land of Canaan because of their unbelief. That's the first generation. That was the generation that came out of Egypt, walked through the Red Sea, and within a year and a half, they were at the cusp of entering the land of Canaan. And then they heard the report of the ten spies. That evil report in which they complained that the land was filled with giants and the cities were strong and fortified. They could never be defeated. And this was the generation that responded by refusing to believe in God's promises and who instead longed to return to Egypt. That was the first generation. That was the generation that consisted of many with whom God was not well pleased. That was the generation of the likes of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram who rebelled against God. And that was the generation that as chastisement and punishment for their unbelief, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men, all the people who were 20 and older, died off or were killed. Back in chapter 25, you could have read about 
the 24,000 men who were killed because of the plague, because they had committed the harlotry with the women of Moab. And there was Phinehas who, who rose up because he had zeal for the Lord. And there was the slaying of 24,000 men. And with that slaying of those 24,000 men, that older generation had now completely died off. That's the first section of the book of Numbers, the wilderness wanderings and the dying off of that generation. In the second main section of the book of Numbers, the focus shifts to the second generation, the next generation, the generation that grew up in the wilderness and that, for many of them, they were even born in the wilderness. And here in Numbers chapter 27, we are in the second section of the book. And the census that we read about in chapter 26 really marks the beginning of this section. The book of Numbers, you may know, has two censuses that are recorded in it. A census taken in chapter 1, when the first generation is about to leave Mount Sinai and begin their wilderness wanderings, and a second census that takes place after they finish their wilderness wanderings. They're numbered as they enter the wilderness, and they are again numbered when they exit out of the wilderness. So here in Numbers 27, the Israelites have finished their wilderness wanderings. They're on the plains of Moab. They're on the eastern side of the Jordan River, close to Jericho, and they are about to cross the Jordan River and enter the Promised Land. They've already defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites. They've defeated Og, the king of Bashan. A census has just been taken so that the land can be divvied up according to the size of each tribe. And it's now at this point. All of that is happening. They're preparing to cross. And it's at this time that the daughters of Zelophehad appear before the tabernacle and approach Moses and make their bold request. And their bold request is simply this. That they too might have an inheritance that they too might have a share in the land when the people pass over the river and enter the land of Canaan. So that's the setting here, Numbers chapter 27. Now to understand what's going on here, to understand this request, there are especially two things we need to look at in detail. First, we need to have an understanding of the inheritance laws in these days the inheritance laws. And then second, we need to remember what the land of Canaan was a picture of. These two things are very significant. First, we need to understand the inheritance laws and what's going on here. In these days, daughters did not usually inherit any land. Rather, only the sons did. A father's property would be divided up amongst his sons after he died. The eldest son, the firstborn, would receive a double portion and then every other son would receive a single portion. But the daughters would not receive any land. Rather, daughters usually received substantial wedding presents from their fathers. Typically, these wedding presents consisted of clothes and jewelry, money, and furniture. And if a man was rich, maybe he would even give his daughter a maid to serve her. Remember when Laban gave Rachel and Leah each a maid? When they got married to Jacob, that was Laban giving uh, an inheritance, a gift to his daughters. That was the way it, that was the fashion in which they did that. If a man was really rich, he could give land or even a city. In Judges chapter 1, we read how Caleb gave his daughter pieces of land in the south of Judah. 
And in 1 Kings chapter 9, we read of how Pharaoh, this is how people did it even in other countries, Pharaoh gave his daughter a city. After having married off his daughter and giving her gifts, a father had no further financial responsibility for her. She became a member of her husband's family and lived on the land that her husband received from his father. And there were especially two reasons for doing it this way. First, to keep the land in the family and in the tribe to which it was originally given, so that the tribes weren't all scattered, but the land stayed in the tribe. And then second, to keep the family name in remembrance. Now, this brings us to the second main thing we need to look at, that the land of Canaan was a picture of heaven. And the land of Canaan was a picture of salvation in Jesus Christ. And the land of Canaan was a picture of a person's place in the church. And that's what made the land of Canaan so special for God's people in the Old Testament. Having a piece of property in the land of Canaan represented having a share in God's salvation and in the church. The land tangibly symbolized God's covenant with His people, that you were God's covenant child. And God emphasizes that. He cultivated that way of thinking even by speaking about the land as His inheritance that he gives to his children. We read that in Numbers 26, verse 52. Numbers 26, verses 52 through 54. Notice how the Lord speaks to Moses. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Unto these the land shall be divided for an inheritance. This is your inheritance. I'm giving to you as my children, according to the number of names. To many thou shalt give them more inheritance And to few thou shalt give the less inheritance. To every one shall his inheritance be given according to those that were numbered of him. And the point is, all God's people, as his covenant people, as his children, are given an inheritance. The land is that inheritance. And the land, therefore, is a witness to the people that they are the children of God. That the promised land of Canaan represented salvation and, and heavenly glory and, and having a share in the church is very clear, first of all, when you look at the whole history of Israel's sojourn from Egypt to the land of Canaan. And you see how it's all typical. The land of Egypt, that's where we start. The land of Egypt is a picture of bondage to sin, slavery to sin. The... the, the the Passover the lamb, Passover lamb and the spreading of the blood of the Passover land and the parting of the Red Sea, that's a picture of the deliverance that God gives his people through Jesus Christ out of that bondage to sin. The 40 years in the wilderness wanderings is typical. It's a picture of our earthly sojourn through life. And then you get to the shores of the Jordan River and the parting of the Jordan River and entering into that land is a picture of coming to the end of life and entering into our heavenly inheritance. In fact, even in the New Testament, the Bible speaks of heaven as our inheritance. 1 Peter 1 verse 4, we read that God God has raised His people from spiritual death to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven. That's our inheritance. Right now, we're walking through the wilderness wanderings, looking ahead to when we will receive that inheritance. And so the promised land of Canaan is a picture of of that inheritance 
That's significant. We'll look at that. That the promised land represented the share that God's people have in salvation is also clear when you look at some interesting, significant Old Testament passages. For example, think of Naboth. Remember Naboth who refused to sell his land, his inheritance to King Ahab? Because Naboth viewed his land as representing his place among God's people and his place in the church. And now to sell that land to someone else would be like to sell his place in the midst of God's people. And he couldn't do that. And that's why he was even willing to die before selling his land to wicked King Ahab. For another passage, think of Psalm 16. We're going to sing Psalm 16 at the end of the service. Where the psalmist says, The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. The, the lines that have marked out my, my lot in the midst of God's people, in the midst of the land of Canaan, is good and fair. All that Old Testament language uses the land of Canaan as a picture of the spiritual inheritance we have in Jesus Christ. Now, when we put these two things together, when we think of the inheritance laws in these days, and we remember what the land of Canaan was a picture of, then we can understand more clearly why these daughters of Zelophehad were concerned. Their father had died in the wilderness. They didn't have any brothers to inherit the land that should have been allotted to their father. Therefore, with no one to inherit the land, that land that should have been portioned out for their father was now going to be lost among all the other families from the tribe of Manasseh. And what's the result going to be if that should happen? If that's what happens, the result is this, that when the Israelites cross the Jordan River and the land is divided up, there stand the five daughters of Zelophehad without any land to stand on. Can you imagine that? These daughters of Zelophehad were children of God. They're part of God's covenant people, and they were daughters with a remarkable faith. And now they're looking ahead to the land of Canaan and realizing that there's not going to be a place for them in the land as things stand right now. And that's going to be a gross injustice. That's going to be a gross injustice for two reasons. First, was Zelophehad's name is going to be cut off. And then second, for his daughters, having no land in, in the promised land of Canaan is going to communicate to them that they, know, they have no share among God's people. They have no part in God's covenant. And it's precisely for that reason that these daughters say what they do in verse 3. Notice what they say in verse 3. Striking language. Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, but died in his own sin and had no sons. Now the question is, why do these daughters mention these things? And the best answer seems to be this, that the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram was so serious, and it was of such an offensive nature, that part of the punishment for Korah, Dathan, and Abiram was that their families were cut off from the land, and their properties were confiscated. 
It seems like that was the practice in Israel. After all, that, that would explain why King Ahab brought the accusation against Nahab, Naboth that he did. Remember King Ahab accuses Naboth of blaspheming the name of the Lord? Or, or Jezebel does it behind the scenes? It would have been that kind of sin, a sin of such an offensive nature, that would not only have led to Naboth's execution, but that would also have allowed King Ahab to confiscate the property for himself. So that Naboth's vineyard doesn't get passed to his brother or his children, but King Ahab can confiscate it because his sin, Naboth's sin, would have been of such an offensive nature that his place is removed from among God's people altogether. That's also what happened with Achan, with his grievous sin. Remember, both Achan and his family were cut off from the land. They were stoned to death and their bodies were buried. Cut off in their generations. This is also what happened with Hiel. Maybe we don't know the name Hiel, but Hiel was the one who rebuilt the walls of Jericho. And God had said, he put a curse there on the walls of Jericho. He said that whoever would try to rebuild the walls of Jericho, he would lose his firstborn son in the building of the foundation, and he would have his youngest son taken away when the gates were being set in place. And the point is, the curse is this, that that man who would try to do that would be committing such a sin that his name would be entirely removed from among God's people. All his sons would be slain and his place removed from among God's people in the land. Now here in verse 3, the daughters of Zelophehad tell Moses that their father was not guilty of those kinds of heinous sins. Rather, they say that their father died in his own sin. And what that means is not that their father was an unbeliever, a wicked man who went to hell when he died, but it means that their father, with his whole generation, was guilty of the grievous sin of not wanting to enter the land of Canaan. But the point they're making is that their father's sin was not of the magnitude of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram's, so that he should be completely cut off from the land. And so the point is, whether Zelophehad had given his tacit approval to the evil report of the ten spies or not, Zelophehad should be treated just like everyone else in that generation was treated, except for those who had committed very heinous sins and who were completely cut off. If other families are going to have a portion in the land of Canaan, even though their parents had supported the evil report of the ten spies, well, shouldn't Zelophehad also and his children have a portion in the land of Canaan? That's the argument here. He, hadn't, he hasn't done anything extraordinary so as to disinherit himself from the promised land of Canaan. He is no different than the vast majority of the Israelites. So that's the argument of these daughters of Zelophehad in verse 3. Their father had not been cut off from the covenant community through, through any particularly grievous sin he had committed. Therefore, Jehovah was still Zelophehad's God and the God of his family. Therefore, God's promises were still for Zelophehad's daughters. Remember, God had promised that he would give to Abraham and his seed the land of Canaan as an inheritance. 
And that promise still applied to Zelophehad's daughters. And so now in Numbers 27, Zelophehad's daughters approach Moses in faith, and they approach Moses with the purpose of holding God to his promises. If Zelophehad's name is allowed to disappear out of the land of Canaan, then God is not keeping his promises to his people, at least not to us five daughters. And so these daughters come forward and make their bold request. That's the bold request of Zelophehad's daughters. And now that's exactly what makes this passage also so fitting for the occasion tonight, confession of faith. Because there are parallels between this passage and what we have in confession of faith. With confession of faith, you also have two things. First, you have laws. Just like they had inheritance laws in the Old Testament, so we have laws today. The law being that if you don't confess faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have a right to the full privileges of a communicant member. If you don't confess faith in Jesus Christ, you are in fact denying Jesus Christ and showing yourself by your lack of confession to be outside the kingdom of heaven. And then second, you have the privileges that come with being a communicant member. Namely, you have a right to the Lord's Supper table. You have a right to, to be treated as a confessing member with all its benefits and responsibilities. And all these things are earthly indications. That these things are witnesses to us that we are members of the church of Jesus Christ. We are members of God's covenant and partakers of the salvation in Jesus Christ. That's communicated at the Lord's Supper. In the Old Testament... If you didn't have a piece of land, it was a sign you didn't share in God's covenant. And it's the same thing in the New Testament. If you aren't a member of an instituted church, it's a sign that, you're not, that, that you don't have a share in God's covenant. So there's parallel here between this Old Testament event and confession of faith. And with confession of faith, what Megan and Tabby did was very bold. And when Megan and Tabby came up to an elder and said, I'd like to appear before the consistory to make confession of faith. That request was very bold because what Tabby and Megan were saying was this. It's my right to come to the Lord's Supper. It's my right to be a communicant member here in church because I'm a believer. This is what God has made me to be. I'm one of God's children. I'm the covenant child of God and I have a right in Jesus Christ on the basis of His shed blood on the cross which was shed for me I have a right to enjoy the blessings of God's covenant as they are experienced and enjoyed here in this congregation. I have a right to these blessings and I have the obligation to make use of these blessings too. In congregation, to have that kind of an attitude pleases our covenant God. That's what God wants us to do. God wants us to lay claim to the blessings we have in Jesus Christ. God wants us to own who we are in Jesus Christ and enjoy the rights and the obligations that are given us in Jesus Christ. To have that kind of an attitude pleases God. And to have that kind of an attitude and to make confession of faith for that reason is a demonstration of strong faith. And that's exactly what we see in the daughters of Zelophehad. Their bold request was rooted in a strong faith. I think we can see that quite clearly just from the nature of the case. These daughters wanted to have a share in the promised land. 
They cared deeply about the promised land. They cared so much that they were moved to bring their case before Moses. And think about that. That would have taken some courage and boldness. For five young ladies to appear before Moses face to face. Moses, who had stood face to face with God on Mount Sinai. Moses, who was the leader of two million people. And here they are approaching Moses. For these five young ladies to appear before Eliezer the priest and before the 70 elders whom Moses had appointed to help him in his work, just imagine being a young person, young adult, having to appear before consistory, and there's not just seven, but there's 70 that you have to appear before. That takes boldness. And, and, and what were these women doing? They were really bringing a protest That's really what this was. It was like a protest that a woman might bring before sin. I'm protesting what's happening because we're being left out. That takes boldness. And when done properly, when done with a concern for the church, an action like that takes strong faith. But their strong faith also comes out in in a few very specific ways in the passage. I've got three things here. First, Notice once again what these women say at the end of verse 3. Verse 3, let's read it again. Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin and had no sons. He died in his own sin. Now, we already explained that that's referring to the fact that this man did not commit such a grievous sin that would cause him to be disinherited. Rather, this man was on an equal plane, you might say, with all the others of that generation who died in their sin, and yet whose children were still going to receive an inheritance in the promised land of Canaan. But leaving that issue aside, notice something else these words reveal. He died in his own sin. These words reveal that these five young women appreciate the seriousness of the sin of their father and his generation. Their father didn't die in the wilderness because of bad luck or because of a chance or because a poisonous snake bit him or whatever it may be. Their father died in the wilderness because he, with his generation as a whole, were characterized by unbelief. He died in his sin As a member of that whole generation, their father died in the wilderness because of his sin. A sin that characterized that generation as a whole. And the point now is, these women know their history and they have profited from it spiritually. They take God's side. They said God is right in how he dealt with all our parents in the wilderness so that they all died in the wilderness. God was right He was faithful, making them wander for 40 years. God is just. That's what they're saying here in verse 3. So that shows their strong faith. They take God's side in what God did with his people in the wilderness. Second, their strong faith comes to expression in the fact that these five young ladies fully expected to receive the land. Now here, in Numbers 27, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. And there is some land that has already been conquered. It's land that's been conquered on the east side of the Jordan River. Of Sihon and the Amorites and the 
Og, king of Bashan. And it's, in fact, it's on this eastern side of the Jordan River where these daughters are going to receive their land. Half the tribe of Manasseh was on the eastern side of the Jordan River, but they didn't know that yet. But at this specific time in the history, not one square inch of the land of Canaan itself, the land of Canaan proper, you might say, has been conquered. And the thing is, nothing has changed over the last 40 years. The giants, the sons of Anak, they're still in the land. These strong, fortified cities are still just as strong as they were, if not stronger than they were 40 years earlier. But you see, these women had faith. They believed that whatever the odds might be from man's perspective, God would fulfill His promise and He would give them the promised land. And they had such faith that even before one square inch is conquered, before they even cross the Jordan, they're asking Moses to make sure they get their portion. You see, that shows strong faith. Third, their strong faith comes to expression in the fact that they base their request on God's covenant promises. They don't come to Moses arguing that they need a portion in the land because otherwise they're going to be dirt poor, although that would have really been the case. They would have been vagabonds in the land, but that's not what they say. They don't come to Moses arguing that, well, they're pretty good people, but they come clinging to the promises God has made. Hasn't God made promises? And aren't we too part of his covenant people? Can God disinherit us as his children simply because our father had only girls and no boys? No. The certainty of God's covenant does not depend on these kinds of circumstances of life, but the certainty of God's covenant depends on the character of God himself. Either he's faithful or he's not, and he is faithful, and he keeps his promises. Therefore, we ought to have a place among God's people. So they're arguing by faith. So these daughters of Zelophehad had a strong faith. Now, to apply this to today, we need to see that these daughters of Zelophehad are a powerful example for us. These women, altogether ordinary women who otherwise would have been completely unknown to us, their story is recorded in Scripture and it's presented to us today as an example of strong faith. And for the ones making confession of faith this evening, and for all of us, these women are an example of how we ought to act out of faith. The question comes to you. Do you have the faith of Zelophehad's daughters? And do you hold, are you holding God to his promises? Just think of this. This is a parallel. Are you so confident of enjoying heavenly glory? Are you so confident of entering into that promised land of rest that you are living today and acting today and preparing yourself today in anticipation of entering that heavenly glory? You see, that's how these daughters of Zelophehad were behaving themselves. They didn't know how long it would take for them to cross the river and enter the the promised land and enjoy their share in the land. But they were living already now, acting in accordance with that hope that they had. Is that how we live? Are you living each day in the light of eternity and the inheritance that's reserved in heaven for you? Are you living each day looking at the things, not at the things which are seen, 
Maybe it is a giant along your path. Maybe it is a strong, fortified enemy nation that intimidates you. Are you living each day looking not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen, the things that you can see by faith? Christ sitting at God's right hand, ruling and governing, your mediator leading the way before you. Are you living each day not concerned with how other people might view you, but simply acting out of faith and obedience. That's how these five daughters of Zelophehad were living. Are we living according to God's promises? Do you submit yourself to every single commandment of God, all the while casting all your trust and all your confidence upon Him, expecting that he will prove himself faithful to you so that it is your, yours to obey and you trust that as in the way of obedience, God will show you the path you are to take and he will provide. So that you submit to God's will and God's commands when it comes to your dating life. And you say, this is who I may date, this is who I may not date. I submit to him and I will trust him as he leads me. When it comes to your occupation, when it comes to your education, when it comes to your friendships, when it comes to everything in your life, do you submit yourself to God's will and then expect that God will prove himself faithful and he will provide? Are you doing that in college? I will live in obedience when it comes to when I do my homework, when it comes to the friendships I make, I will walk in obedience and I will trust that God will lead me and he will keep his promises. Do you do that at home? That's exactly what these daughters of Zelophehad were doing. They brought their concerns to Moses and then what did they do? They committed their entire life, their entire future unto the will of their heavenly father. And they stood back and they waited to see how God would answer their request. They brought their petition before the Lord, and they trusted. They didn't know how God would answer, but they did know that God would be faithful to his promises one way or another. They were proving God. That's what they were doing. Young people, young adults, this is what it means to prove God. You say, God, you've made me promises I'm going to hold you to those promises. I'm going to walk in the path of obedience, denying the flesh, denying this world, following you, and I'm going to trust that you will keep your promises and you will show me how life must go. That's how these daughters were living. That's how young men and young women must live today. That's how we all must live, having a strong faith that clings to the promises. And beloved, when we do that, then our experience will also be this, that God gives us that glorious answer and that God does show himself faithful indeed. And you see that in the text too, in God's dealings with these daughters. In verses 6 and 7, we read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren. And thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And then in the verses that follow, God clarifies how a property should be passed on when a father dies. If he has no sons, then his daughters receive 
the land. And then if you go to the very last chapter in the book of Numbers, you read that God stipulates there that any daughter who inherited her father's land, she needs to marry within her own tribe because that way the land is still going to remain in the tribe. And then if you would turn to Joshua chapter 17, you can read that the daughters of Zelophehad received land in Israel on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Their names come up again, and you see that God answers them and gives them what he promised them. God gave them a glorious answer. And that's also how God answers us today and deals with us. Tabby and Megan, let that also be what sinks into your heart this evening too. That God is faithful. He does keep his promises. You must live by faith. You are called to cling to God's promises. You are to hold God to his promises and you are, submit to his, you are to submit to his will and you are to trust in his commandments. And God says, doing that in that way, I will show you my gracious, glorious answer to your prayers and I will show my faithfulness to you. Indeed, our God is always faithful. And especially when his covenant children are jealous over their place in the church. And especially when his covenant children are jealous to make full use of the privileges and the opportunities and obligations that we have in Jesus Christ. God is glad to show his mercy and to pour out his blessing upon his people. Tabby and Megan, continue to show yourself jealous over these things. and Keep doing that throughout the rest of your life. For all women and for all men, may these daughters of Zelophehad be an example of living by faith and be a witness to us of God's goodness and faithfulness in all things. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for this passage of Scripture which encourage us, encourages us and comforts us as we too are jealous and thankful for the place thou hast given us in thy church. We thank thee for the heritage that is ours and we pray that with all that thou hast given us, we might use it for thy glory and honor. Preserve our young people and young adults in the faith that thou hast given them, strengthen them, and use this preaching tonight for us to rest in thee, prove thee and thy promises, that thy faithfulness might be on display, and we might sing thy praises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.